All right, everybody, welcome in. This will be episode two of the 1796 Sports Podcast. We'll be recapping the huge win over Texas A&M. Um, the key, the final score was 20 to 13. Um, Tennessee, uh, as normal ball fan predicted, Tennessee dominated on the run game. Uh, you know, that was impressive to see. In total, the Vols finished with 332 yards of offense compared to A&M's 277. Kept them under 300 total yards, which is very impressive. Um, overall, Tennessee went 7 to 15 on third downs. A&M went 5 of 15 through the through the air. If you if you just read this right here, the Vols only had 100 yards passing. You would definitely think we got killed, um, but we did not. 232 yards on the ground compared to A&M's 54. That's really the difference. Time of possession was about even a minute different. Um, Texas A&M turned the ball over once more than the Vols did. Texas A&M had two turnovers to the Vols only had one. I think before I turn it over to my two co-hosts, I, I think the the statistic that stands out to me is the Aggies averaged less than two yards per carry, which is abysmal. Um, it's the second game in a row they've done that, and I think that is definitely impressive to me. What do you guys think? Ryan, you go ahead and uh, take this one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they just dominated in, in the trenches. I mean, both ways. I mean, and you wouldn't expect that. Um, I mean, this win was – I don't think people are giving the, the credit that the team deserves. I mean, I, I don't know if you all are familiar with the 247 talent composite. But uh, Texas A&M is ranked fourth in the country in, in, in talent. And we were able to handle them when we clearly didn't have our best game. Heupel didn't have his best game coaching. Joe Milton certainly didn't have his best game. And in spite of all that, the Vols found a way to win. So I thought it was very impressive. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, uh, going to your comment about Josh Heupel, I think you're right, you know, there's a couple instances, and I'm talking about, you know, after we missed that first field goal, um, it was fourth and three. That's one of those where, you know, I'm not going to say anything really because I'm not a, I'm not an SEC coach. I'm not a coach at all. But um, that's one I'd go for other than the one that we went for at fourth and seven late in the game. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's little things like that. But you know what? It You know, at the end of the day, it worked out for us. Um, the thing I will give Coach Apple credit about is, man, you know what? The pass game ain't working. And he said, all right, well, the run game is. And he kept going and kept going. And yep. like I said in our first podcast, man, like this, our run game is so hard to stop. And it's because we have a three-headed monster. I mean, Jalen Wright could not have a day, but, you know, then Dylan Sampson comes around or Jabari Small has a big game. You know, it's it's hard to stop when you have three guys that can do it. And then not only that, Joe Milton ran a little bit. And I think yeah. It's, yeah. that's a huge difference, especially in a game coming up. So we'll see, you know. But uh, I do want to ask uh, both of you, um, I want to talk about key players. Who are your, Who's your um, key players to this game when it comes to honestly both teams, because 
it was a close battle. I mean, both teams didn't play too well, but there were key players on both teams. So, Bryce, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, for the Vols, I, I think it would be hard to give it to anybody other than Jalen Wright. I mean, he averaged a whopping 7.2 yards per carry on the ground. Who would have thought that would happen other than other than normal ball fan? Who would have thought that was going to happen against the Aggies? I mean, say what you want. They have an elite run defense and averaging 7.2 yards. Uh, he had a long of 23. I mean, 19 carries for 136 yards. You're going to win a lot of games if your back can do that. Um, Jabari Small didn't have the best day. Dylan Sampson didn't have the best day. But it didn't matter because Jalen Wright was a beast. Um, and then yeah. – the Aggies key player, I honestly thought Noah Thomas was was great. I, I don't I'm surprised they only got on the ball three times. Uh, I think Noah Thomas is one of the best receivers in the SEC. Yeah. Yes. Speaking to the to the run game, Bryce. I mean, I'm so glad Normal Vol fan was right. I mean, because if he wasn't, this game that would have been a blowout. You you probably lose about three or four scores. I mean, but my key player for the game. I'm going to give it to two defensive players. One we talked about in our, in our preview podcast is Kamal Haddon. Every time he the ball was thrown to him, he knocked it down or got an interception. Like, he, he locked down corner, the definition of a lockdown corner. And then James Pierce just wreaking havoc. I pretty, he had six or seven quarterback hurries. Did, didn't show up in, on, on a sack, but he definitely had an effect on Max Johnson in their passing game, especially on those last two drives. For Texas A and M, yeah. Oh yeah, I agree with both of you on you know both those guys. Uh, another one, you know, I don't want to leave him out because I think he had a really good game as well. Is Tyler Barron? Yeah. Him, him and Pierce, and I'm gonna say something crazy. Um, I'm not gonna say he's better than he's not the best edge we ever had, but James Pierce is the best edge we've had in a long time. That kid is he's different. I don't know yeah. what it is, but he's it's every game. He's consistent. It's not he doesn't have that off game. He is always getting to the quarterback some way, somehow. Um it's gonna be interesting when we're going after Milrow this week. So it's gonna, you know, yeah. we'll see. We gotta show up. Our defense gotta play well. Hopefully, I think if we have a good consistent a better passing game than, you know, yesterday, I think we have a good shot this week. Um Yeah. Uh, now rolling into that, I, I want to talk about our offense and defense. You know, we had we have a lot to work on with the you know quarterback play. I'm still a believer in Joe. I think he is the best quarterback for us right now, and that's only you know because of his leadership. I think if you, because I, I know you guys have been seeing it on Twitter, people talking about Nico this, Nico that, but going into a game, going into Tuscaloosa. It is not the time to take Joe away. It's, yeah, it's I mean, not. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's yeah. the key right there. Um, what you just said about Tuscaloosa. I mean, you don't you, you're not going to throw Nico to the Wolves in Tuscaloosa. I mean, Saban would be licking his chops if we did that. I, oh. I don't. I, I think is Joe Milton the best quarterback in the SEC? God <laughs> no, but he he's a veteran. Um, I still trust him. I don't think he doesn't make too many boneheaded decisions. I mean, we'll get into what he did yesterday. Um, yeah, I, I just think you're going to trust the veteran quarterback going into Tuscaloosa. I mean, the SEC East is still up for grabs. I don't understand. I, I wouldn't, you know, if we would have lost yesterday, I would, I would 
think the team would be more willing to maybe pivot to Nico, but you still have everything ahead of you. Like, I, I definitely wouldn't make that move right now. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, I hate to say it, but the only reason Milton is still starting is the leadership and then what taking him out would do to the locker room chemistry. I think that's the only thing the hype was worried about. I don't know what Joe's offering you right now that Nico couldn't accept leadership, and that's how, how I'm looking at it, just the – ineffectiveness the inaccuracy the lack of awareness i mean i i just don't well i think it's also hard to make a move like that when you're yeah. winning yeah i mean if you're going to alabama you obviously don't want to put a true freshman in there but you know i i just don't see what he's offering that nico can't i mean there's not one throw that i don't think nico could have made that joe made yesterday so i i it, it's got to be the leadership and worrying about the team chemistry that's the only reason the move's not hasn't already been made. And yeah, we my, also we also haven't seen Nico make decisions like that. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 a basically what what's he doing in practice type thing. We haven't seen him enough to say, oh, he he could he could do these things. It's like yes, we know he's talented. He's not a five, He's not the number one recruit in the nation for no reason. But we haven't really seen it. Mm-hmm. It's always just it's the sexy option, right? I mean. We're we're kind of dealing with this right now with the Titans. It's like everybody wants to see the young gun. That everybody's convinced that the other option is automatically better, and that's just not always the case. I mean, I do do I think Nico will be the guy eventually? Absolutely, um, but we haven't seen him do it yet. I mean, I, I just it's hard to make a move like that when you're winning games and you still have everything to play for. Yeah, I mean the the one thing I would say to that is. I feel like we won yesterday in spite of Joe Milton. I mean, it's I, – I was frustrated the whole time. I, I know I'm kind of being a redneck right right now, but it, it was just sad to see our passing game. I mean, 11 for 22 for 100 yards is just – Very sad. I, I, I don't think that's going to cut it next week. Against, that, against their secondary. Yeah, I mean, a secondary that you can throw on. I mean, it was just disappointing to see. And, I mean, Joe's making freshman mistakes – Throwing a pick in the end zone. To in the it wasn't court. even not even close to open. No, it, it was double coverage. Safety was sitting there the whole time. He he looked off the receiver once. Safety was still sitting there and didn't see him. I mean, mm-hmm. you're a sixth year senior making that mistake when you have to at least get a field goal. I mean, it ended up working out because our defense played lights out. But you know, we're, we're I, not going to yeah that all year. Totally, totally agree with that. I mean, he 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 makes just weird decisions. Um, but I got to play devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah. The, the receivers did absolutely nothing to help him out. I mean, anytime who would have, who had it on their bingo card that Chaz Nimrod was going to be the leading receiver. <laughs> Nobody. Well, like, well I, and I know where you're going with this, so I want you to keep going. Okay. Uh, I, I just think, I mean, can we just call a spade a spade? Ramel Keaton is not good. Every, every regressed heavily. Everybody was hyping him up, and and I mean, I, I want him to be good. I, I would love for him to be good. Um, the the thing is though, he he's a fifth year player, right? I mean, if he's if he can't yeah. if he's not catching the balls that he's supposed to catch right now, when is he ever going to? He's he's not a young guy. I mean, he's he's this is who he is. This is who Ramel Keaton is. He's not somebody that you're going to be able to rely on. And is I mean is is Dante Thornton 
I mean, what is his injury more so serious than we know? And they just don't want to say that. I mean, uh, it, if you look uh, at the box score from yesterday, the fact that if you told me that Chaz Nimrod and Squirrel White were the only wide receivers to make a catch, I would think we got boat raced. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I- that's just I, – I just don't understand it. I don't understand the disconnect. I mean, Ramel Keaton has physically – he should have all the tools to be an elite SEC receiver. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's – I don't know what it is, but there's a disconnect there. I mean, he seems like he's never on the same page with the, with Joe Milton. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I'll let y'all, let y'all take over from there. Yeah, for, from what I understand about how the offense works, the receivers have to make reads before the ball is snapped and while the play is going on. It's a tough position in that offense. So that's probably the only reason that Keaton is still – seeing the field at this point. I mean, that ball he dropped, it, it, it's like it's like something you throw to your kid in the backyard. Like, you, you're, it wasn't even that hard of a – like, it was dropped in a bucket, even when Joe Button was getting slapped in the face. One of his best throws of the day, and Keaton drops it. So, it's just disappointing to see. And for, for Thornton, I, I think he's still on that learning curve of, like I just said, the receivers having to make reads. So, that's how well, I see the receivers right, right, right now. And we're talking about our passing game. It could have been a lot different. You look at that, like the catch we're talking about, that's a, what, 40-yard, maybe 50-yard touchdown yep. pass right there. Yes. So that goes to 100 to 150. And then you had that deep ball to Ramel Keaton that could have been a pass interference. I'm not going to mm-hmm. get into all that. But, I mean, let's say he wasn't touched and he, he caught it. It's another, like, 80 yards, whatever it was. You know, my thing is, and with the deep balls for Mel Keaton, he needs to stop with Joe Milton. You know, Joe is throwing it. He is, he is, it's going to be five yards ahead of you. He needs to quit turning around and slowing down because yeah. the ball is five yards ahead of you. If you do that, you're slowing that. That's why it's overthrown. And the, he's missing him by like a foot and a half. And that's because yeah. he turns around and he's just slowing down. Yeah. And, you know, the passing game looks a whole lot different with a couple plays that went our way. So I'm not really, like, disappointed in Joe. Yes, he made a couple mistakes, but there's also that Ramel Keaton pass play that was a touchdown. So it changes the whole game in that essence because it would be Joe Milton would have had 150 yards with two touchdowns and an interception. And would've, everyone would have been, oh, it's just an average day, you know? So it, that yeah, one play I mean, changes a lot. That's definitely a fair assessment. I mean, Joe Milton's numbers look look amazing. I mean, they look not amazing, but they definitely look way more serviceable than they did if a couple things go differently. I mean, it's not like there was a couple there was a couple bad throws, don't get me wrong. He's got a couple every game where it's like what the hell is he looking at? But I mean, when one of your receivers is made of glass and the other one apparently just can't put it together I mean I it's hard for me to put all the blame on Milton and I mean Nico Nico being in the game is not going to make Ramel Keaton run correct routes and catch the correct correct absolutely yeah it's certainly not just Joe you you gotta I mean like like we just talked about you you gotta bring the receivers into it as well I mean you lost two draft picks I mean uh, elite receivers so I mean they're they're still on on the catch-up at this point I mean and I I just want to say real quick it feels good to be bitching about a team that's five and one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
this is how it's supposed to feel as a Tennessee fan. This is what we were deprived of for 15 years with the slew of buffoons we had at, at running the program. <laughs> so it, 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 it feels good to, to, to be disappointed with five and one in the middle of October. I, I would have been doing backflips for this under Butch Jones. So, Oh yeah. But listen, listen, that you got, I can't believe that people are, are, are bitching about us winning 20 to 13. The fact that we won a game that was a defensive battle is, is like, oh my God, did we expect this at the beginning of the year? No, no. We expected offense to score 45 points and yeah. to hold them just under 30 and we win. Yeah. Cause that's what we were used to last year. But the fact no one's talking about this, the defense is elite. This defense is like, oh my God, our pat like the Rodney Gardner has the defensive line. The defensive front is on all cylinders right now, and I'm all for it. Okay, so a lot of people, you know, yes, offense had a bad game, but we still won. The you know the running game was great. Yeah, the passing game wasn't there, but we still won. The defense played. I just can't believe we won a game with less than twenty with with, with twenty points. Yeah, you 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 would have thought Philip Fulmer was on the sidelines coaching with us running for two fifty and having a brick house defense. Like it's it's nice to see. I mean, throughout history, the success of Tennessee football is centered around the defense. So it it it, it warms my heart to see the defense win a game for the first time in a very long time. For the- I think absolutely. I think it was uh, Astro Smokey, actually, who who pointed this out. Like, this is the exact game script that we lose every time in the last 15 years. Like, this is a game that we never win before this season. And and I pointed it out on Twitter uh, from the 1796 account. It's kind of like – it's super impressive to me, the job that Hypo has done. Because Mm -hmm. how do you transform a team – into an entirely different style of play in one offseason. Like, look at last year. I mean, last year we were winning games by throwing the ball all over the yard and scoring 45 points. And this year it's literally the exact opposite, and we're still sitting at 5-1. and Like, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about that, how impressive that is. We've completely transitioned to a run-first defensive team after being an air-em-out team last year. And the results are the same. Yeah, I, I think a lot of coaches, and luckily Hype wasn't like this, would live and die with his philosophy and be stubborn. But he's, you know, <clears throat> Mike Vrabel. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's committed to what the the strengths of the team are at this point in the season, and that's why we're five and one instead of four and two. I mean, that's. I mean, it's it's it speaks to Hype and how well he's done. And Heupel even said in the press conference that he wasn't that good yesterday. He made some weird decisions like we've already talked about. But um, unlike Shane Beamer, who blamed his team because he's a born-on-third buffoon. That, that's probably my favorite word of all time, by the way, buffoon. Um, but, you know, it, it's nice to see a coach after a win say we could have played better and it's my fault. Well, you remember the first the the first game of the year. So, so yesterday – uh, normal Vol fan, I don't know if you remember this or not, but at the very first game when South Carolina got shellacked by North Carolina and Shane Beamer went on some weird rant about the line judge stuffing his face with hot dogs, that's why they lost. Like, it, it's just nice to not have a clown running the team. Yeah, like 
has happened so often for the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Butch, if Butch Jones would have if, – if, if say, this team – which, if this was a Butch Jones team, we wouldn't have even come close to sniffing a win. But imagine it was a, a Butch Jones team and we just won like this. Uh, this would have been one of those games where he cries on the side of the field profusely. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and, you know, talking about, you know, Ryan, you just brought it up. I want to talk about, you know, the coaching decisions of, of the game. I mean, there was a couple key, you know, points of the game that could have, you know, changed the whole essence of the game. So I'm kind of interested on what you guys thought on, you know, the certain plays. And I'm sure we have, we, we all have a couple of them that we want to bring up. But, you know, Bryce, well, I guess we'll start with you. I mean, what – what certain plays, you know, what would you think that Hypel did that, you know, could have either been better or could have been, you know, that he did a good job on? So the number one thing um, that's very frustrating to me is the 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 short down, the down and distance where it's, you know, three yards to get a first down and we stick with halfback draw up the middle. Like <coughs> there were a couple times, which overall, I mean, it's a little bit blown out of proportion, but. Overall, we were better. We were pretty decent on third down yesterday. But anytime yeah. it's third and three and everybody in – everybody this side of the Mississippi knows that we're going to run the ball. Like, they have the box. They have eight people in the box. And we do a halfback drop the middle anyway. That That's very frustrating to me. I mean, I know all about establishing the run. It Overall, it's been working for us. Um that that was just kind of frustrating to me. It's like it makes me. It still makes me think. Like I still can't get over the fact that I just, I just don't think Hype will trust Milton that much, which which bothers me. But other than that, I don't really have anything. It's just there was a couple third downs. I didn't really like the third down play calling. Other than that, I, I don't have a whole lot negative to say about it. Yeah, I mean it's it's easy after the game is over to look back in hindsight and say maybe you should have kicked a field goal here. Maybe you should have went for it here. Blah blah blah. You, you you could do that till the cows come home, but um, yeah, I think the the you know the the short you know down a distance plays. It seems like our running game is at its best when it's going tempo, and on a lot of those they you know run the clock down, and the defense has a chance to catch their breath, and they go with a vanilla play like you just said. But you know, all in all, we we did convert you know almost half of our third downs, but. I'll go in a positive direction for what I thought, you know, was the most important play of the game. Two of the most important plays, both made by D. Williams. D. Williams down the punt at the one. Um, and then after we stopped him on the goal line, returned the punt for a touchdown, like I said, might happen. That was obviously the turning point in the game. We got momentum and we rolled from there. Even, you know, we still had a few more mistakes after that, but that that was a difference in the game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I just said before, it's and I apologize for my voice being like this. My voice is not, <coughs> my voice is still in Neyland Stadium, um, but sorry, Hypo is such an incredible coach because he you take the pass game away, he figures out what's going to work and he goes with it. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't stop. He he knows what he's got to do. He figures it out mid game. And a lot of coaches in the past wouldn't have done that, would have kept trying the same thing, you yep. know. And like I said, I, it ain't even about the coach right now, but, man, that defense is good. I I am so 
grateful we have a good defense this year. And this is why I'm not going to say I'm not going to say we're going to beat them. But if 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 November comes around and we're looking good, I'm sorry, you know that stadium is going to be rocking for that certain game that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think our defense has the capabilities of stopping them. And um it's going to be interesting. But um, anyway, I want to go into the next topic that I really, really want to talk about. If you guys had to pick one game-changing moment, any pivotal moment or any play that you think of that had a significant impact on this game, what's that one play? Yeah. I just said mine. So, Bryce, if you want to steal it, go ahead. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's very hard to not go with – the touchdown, the punt return by D. Williams, which, by the way, how impressive is that? You called that, Ryan. Good job. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a soothsayer, you know. And then, you know, the um, honestly though, just for the sake of being different, I think that the interception um, by Judy Lolly was probably the turning point for me. It's just nice to see somebody get a big interception. Um, I think we all three mentioned before the game in our, in our initial pod, we all mentioned that Max Johnson is not careful with the ball. I mean, they're they're towards the end of the game when he was trying to make plays and Gabe got one and then Kamal got one. I just think once, especially with a quarterback like Max, that's not used to starting. When you throw that first interception, you're more prone to, to make mistakes, start seeing ghosts. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was, I mean, you've already alluded to it, Bryce. I mean, in the past, when we were up 17-13, they had the ball with three minutes left. We lose that game. They 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 drive right down the field. They get a touchdown, and we either go to overtime and lose or lose in regulation. But it's nice to finally see the defense step up twice, mm-hmm. twice, and come up with turnovers to, to leave no doubt. They, they weren't knocking on the door at all. They were barely past midfield. I mean, I don't think they did get past midfield on either of those drives. Like, they, they slammed the door. So that was incredible to see. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I agree with you with the whole, you know, punt return because that was huge. Um, the guy sitting in front of me, is a, he actually turned around and said he's running it back, like, right before it was even kicked. And um, it happened. But my key play to the game is actually what happened before that. That punt. That punt changed the game. That yeah. that one getting on that one yard line, we all knew. Me and my uh, the guy that sits sits next to me, I held up the safety sign for uh, that whole time we were waiting <laughs> to see what happened. Okay, my arms hurt. I was after the couple stops. I, me and him looked at each other. We're like, we're not putting it down. Not putting it down. Sorry, sorry to the people behind us, but. But, yeah, I think that was a huge play. And then the defense comes up clutch, doesn't let up anything. And then, again, we get to that punt. So, that I think the punt led to all that. And I'm not taking anything away from D. I think D is the best return man in college football. And But, yeah, I think that's it. I think that was the turnaround. That was the turnaround point, and I think we all knew it. I think we all knew it in the crowd when that happened. Yeah. I mean, and D – made both plays. I mean, uh, can, can we talk about how much Jackson Ross has improved as a punter since the Virginia game? 
Dude. Oh, absolutely yeah. hapless. And now he's pinning him on the one yard line in a huge game. I mean, he has improved tremendously. But yeah, D. Williams downing at the one and then taking it to the house. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, Jackson, just to kind of piggyback off what you just said, Jackson Ross punted it three times yesterday. Two of those three were inside the 20. I mean, that that makes a huge difference, especially when you're at home and you're playing against a quarterback, a backup quarterback, pinning him inside his own 20 twice. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. See, I didn't like the whole uh, hold it, run to the side, and then kick it thing. I love it. It is the best. Like, I, I'm, I'm honest. Like, I, I hated it at first. I'm like, what is this guy doing? It's honestly a great way to do it. I mean, you hold the ball a little bit extra longer. You get a if you get a good punt, your team's down the field already. So, yep. you know, as long as it's a good punt, that it's it's incredible. And the the fact that he could kick with both legs is obviously a pus. So, mm. I mean. Yeah, I I agree, man. He's he, what an improvement. Because I mean, Virginia game. Oh my God, it was like yeah. if this is gonna be all year. Where we might be screwed. Yeah, I mean, he, he high school punters did would have done better than him in the Virginia game, and now he's. I mean, he one of the most important plays of the game, and in a game we had to have. So thrilled to see that. If y'all don't mind, I got. There's there's one other thing that bothered me. Um, this is something I think that's going to have to be cleaned up, which I don't know if it can be right now. Um, so we had 12 penalties yesterday for 115 yards. I mean, that's absurd. Multiple were drive killing on the offensive line, which is concerning. I mean, when it's at home, typically you would think, the other team would have more penalties, which they had a lot too. I mean, they had 11, but the thing is, is I just think that's very disappointing to, to have 12 penalties and over a hundred yards of penalty yards at home. I mean, that's something that's got to get cleaned up. It didn't, didn't end up killing us yesterday, but that's the type of thing that can kill you when you're playing Bama or Georgia. Yeah. I I think that's why we've lost our last three true road games. I mean, Vanderbilt obviously doesn't count. But, you know, I mean, Heupel's teams have been undisciplined since he's been here. So it doesn't surprise me too much, but obviously it's a detriment, especially when you're on the road, like we will be next week in Tuscaloosa. So yeah, I agree with that, Bryce. Now, I mean, we're all – I mean, for me, I mean, hence my name, Normal Volfin, I want to know – let's take the, you know – stats out of it we're just talking you know fan reaction what what are we thinking i mean what, what was the the atmosphere in the stadium i mean me and ryan were there so i guess i'll just ask ryan this question what 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 was the what was the vibe where you were sitting i was in i was in qq so i, I know we were in different spots but what was the vibe around you yeah i mean First half, vibes were not very good. I mean, everybody still got loud, but they, it was a lot of frustration and groaning on, on what we were giving it back to them on offense. But second half, especially those last two possessions, everybody was standing. I mean, I mean, me and my dad, I mean, my dad's insane when it comes to ball games. I thought he was about to stroke out. But, oh, yeah. 
I but, understand. Uh, trust me. Yeah, I mean, we we had a, a family in front of us. It was a a couple and then two young children. And me and Dad were cursing up a storm right in their ears. Like <laughs> we, we we were bringing the fight, and everybody around us was bringing the fight. High fives all around. We were making big plays. I thought the environment was, you know, it's it's the like Neil Stadium is the best environment that you're gonna get anywhere in the country at, on any given Saturday. Like, if people don't realize that, like Gary Danielson's dumbass. I mean, I I, I don't know. Like, the it's just another was... it's just another stadium, Ryan. I mean, <laughs> yeah. If have you not have you not been to Vanderbilt? To Vanderbilt? I mean, that's a real <laughs> yeah. atmosphere right there. That's right. I mean, that's our second stadium. That's our practice field. Yeah, yeah I mean, Neyland West. If you like, <laughs> if you like the the ambiance of a funeral home, you would love going to a game at Vanderbilt. Oh yeah, all the cranes and construction stuff around—it's amazing. Yeah, and don't get me started on Faro Field up there. <sighs> yeah, in the in the daunting Kroger Field, sitting <sighs> in the parking lot. Watch out! I mean, they were real quiet. They were real quiet last night, huh? Yeah, they were all gone by the middle of third quarter. Oh, well, they got uh, they got their they got their max schedule out of the way, so like now yeah. they just they get to play real teams now, and you know it's not you know, going oh, too hot. Oh shit, Devin Leary is not Devin Leary anymore. <laughs> Usually, hey, if you stop Ray Davis, Kentucky, you're done. You're done. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're happy. anyway. Let's get back to Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the the environment was incredible. B- bottom line. Yeah, man, my section. Uh, so, uh, I know I shouldn't have done it, but my one of my best friends, he's from Texas. He come visit me, and he's an A&M fan. He's never been to Neyland. And, uh, of course, I took him to the game. Um, even coming from an Aggie fan, he told me, and he goes to the Kyle Field all the time, Neyland is way better. And um, the pe- he even said the people were nice. And I'll tell you, there was not one person. No one, no one talked smack. You know, everyone was polite to him, and I was really. And I told him that going in. You know, Tennessee people are a different breed. Like, yes, we do. Don't get me wrong. We boo when people get hurt, and we'll talk about this. Yeah. You know, later in the podcast, but it's it's more than a game for us. And the fact that they're all still saying that, you know. Everyone, every Aggie fan I talked to had a good time. Like obviously, yeah. their team didn't win, but they said that it was a great time, great atmosphere, and that's what you want, especially, you know, we don't really – I was shocked. I don't know about you, Ryan, but there was a lot of Aggie fans. Yeah, and, and give credit to them. They were making noise when we were on offense. Like, they they, they brought the fight too. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I – I mean, well, they had their, you know, they they had their midnight circle jerk the night before. So <laughs> they were feeling really good. Yeah, don't, don't get me started on, on how weird Texas A&M is. I mean, did you, did you guys see the video of, of like uh, them playing Love Story and their yellow people were like dancing oh and shit in their in their milkman outfits? Good <laughs> grief! I mean, that I think the reason A&M fans are so nice is because they're trying to indoctrinate you into their cult. Where they, yes, you know, it's what, like Scientology or like reincarnated. Yeah, they. Well, they don't. They don't want everybody to. They don't want everybody to make fun of their overalls. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to worship Blasty and milk cows all day, so I'm I'm good. So. Yeah, but you know, I I do want to talk about you know, 
even those penalties we were just talking about, like the first two, that first pass interference, okay, I just, I mean the first one of the game, I just don't think it was a pass interference. The guy tripped. You know, that's not a pass interference. Uh, You know, the fact that he stepped on our guy's shoe and he fell, that does not make it pass interference. And then you got Elijah Herring going off sides. I think it's a pregame, like, first play of the game jitter. So, you know, yeah, I was super mad at that because I'm like, oh, my God, we're like, we just gave them 30 yards. Yeah. And like you said, you got to clean it up, especially going into Tuscaloosa. We've we really had a rough time on the road this year. Um, But I think our teams this year really – I sound like a Kentucky fan. God, um, our teams uh, really match up this year. We both don't have, we both have okay quarterbacks. Um, I'm not, our running back room is way better than theirs. Um, our offensive line looks pretty decent. I don't think we had, we didn't have any significant injuries, right? Uh, Mincy, maybe. Yeah, Mincy's, Mincy went out. I don't know. But uh, you know how hypo is. We won't know for sure until until uh, Saturday when they come out of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, Mincy didn't have a good game at all. He was one of the lowest rated players on the PFF grades for the offense. So, I mean, it, I mean, you obviously don't want Mincy to be hurt, but you know, Dane Davis did did fine in relief. Well, I know you guys, I know, Ryan, I'm pretty sure you said you had the PFF grade, so I kind of really want to talk about that. Like, let's let's dive into some of the, you know, key players on who was the highest. Um, I got the scores pulled up to because I don't even remember. Sometimes I forget what what's the elite player and good player, all that stuff. Yeah. But um, anyone that stood out to you, let's let's talk about them. Yeah. Well, on offense, nobody really had a high grade, just considering how, you know, out of sync we were for most of the game. But Cooper Mays graded out at the highest at 76.7, which puts him in the starter range. And the lowest, like I just said, was Gerald Mincy at 43.9, which puts him at, uh, yeah, it put, puts him at replaceable. And it, I'm sure the one everybody wants to hear. Uh, Joe Milton graded out at 62.7, which puts him at backup range. So, I mean, to me, Joe Milton is the best. He has the biggest arm of any game manager type quarterback in the history of football, which is what he's been to this point in the year. But moving on to the defense, uh, James Pierce Jr., highest on defense at 92.2, which puts him at in the range of elite and second would be Kamal Haddon puts him in the all all conference range at 84.5 lowest on defense, Dominic Bailey, even though I thought he did fine, you know, PFF, you got to take with a grain of salt. I mean, the the, the grades is kind of, you know, the, the eye test and PFF sometimes don't match up, but Dominic Bailey, the lowest at 60.5. So that's of the highest and lows for the offense and defense there. I mean, yeah, uh, I know that you're, you're going off of the people who actually played, but Danico Slaughter had a terrible grade. He only played 10 snaps, though. So read yeah. into that what you will. Um, 
what I noticed about the off the on the offense grades at least, uh, Ryan, did you have did you by chance get a sneak peek at the receiver grades? Yeah, uh, Keaton was second lowest. Yeah, forty five point four. Yeah, that's that's abysmal. Um, and the highest graded receiver was Nimrod, and he had at, at, at sixty eight point eight. So no receiver really covered themselves in glory yesterday. Well, and uh, Nimrod, he had how many plays did he even play? Uh, forty four. Right, and you got um, it's just not acceptable. It's just not. I mean, think about this, like. So, the the I, I hate to do this. I mean, we won. You know, you, you don't want to be too negative. But Ramel Keaton played seventy seven snaps, which was by far the most. And That's, that that he played every snap. Then he he played every snap and and did not show up in the box score. So, I yeah. mean, that's unacceptable. Um, yeah, and I it, and I'm sure Ramel knows that more than anybody. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm not. I, I I truly think you know. I, I would expect, I would hope that he could bounce back next week. Um, but, you know, it's just disappointing. Anytime somebody's on the field that much, you'd expect them to have some kind of impact. Yeah. I mean, if the coaching staff trusts you to put you out there for every play and you don't show up in the box score, you know that you're going to have to bust it in practice to play every play again. So Yeah, and going back to Dante Thornton, man, I'd – I, I and I agree with Bryce. I don't like. Are we? I don't want to. I don't want to call him a bust, but I, I know he's coming off an injury. But like this, I feel like there's a reason Oregon let him go. Yeah, and, and I I said that last week. In the yes, you did. Yep, yes, you did. I mean, like normally when a team doesn't want you to transfer, they fight it like hell, and they don't even get eligible until a week before the season. That's what happens with that. That happened with Brew. That happened with um, Taz Walker. <laughs> Look what he had to go through. Yeah, that happened with uh, Cade Mays when he left Georgia. That happened with Aubrey Solomon. I mean, that same thing like, with Jalen Wright, right? Uh, I think Jalen was a recruit. Well, that one of our running backs, though, I thought was trying to was talking about leaving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he came back for the NIL, NIL opportunities. Shout out Ball Club. <laughs> yeah, and look at him now. Yeah, he's. One of the best running backs in the SEC, if not the country. So I think he I mean, is the best. I don't care Ray Davis. I mean, Ray Davis has to run the ball for them to do anything. So it just kind of says all you need to know that Dante Thornton could only see the field for 18 snaps. I mean, he's getting he's getting more less than half of the snaps that Caleb Webb and Nimrod are getting. I mean, that tells you all you need to know, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and. Like I said earlier, from what I understand about the offense, the receivers have to get on a learning curve quick if they want to see the field. So I'll cut them some slack for now, coming off an injury and still learning offense. We're only six games in. But, I mean, to this point, it's been very underwhelming from Dante Thornton Jr. Yeah, and that's my next topic I really wanted to talk about was player development, you know, um, like looking at the progress some players have made through the season and how it showed during this game. I mean, Dante Thornton, I mean, I don't think he played more than a couple snaps, maybe 10. Uh, 18 snaps out of seven. Yeah. And, that, and it's great. That's, it's crazy that I didn't know that he was even in. 
And, um, you know, I think they threw a pass to him and he, he, he couldn't catch it. Yeah, I think they, Joe was looking for him on that play where Castles caught it off the tip. And I think Joe was looking for him when he threw the pick in the end zone. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I mean, we could be wrong. It could be maybe his injury has been lingering for a while. And yeah, yeah he, he could have not said anything and it got worse. And who knows? But yeah. speaking of that, I mean, that, that injury to, to Walter Nolan, I, I told my dad, like, how do you as a trainer try to stand him up and walk him off the field and then you end up having to bring out the cart? <laughs> that was befuddling to me. I don't, I don't yeah. know. If, I mean, that that was crazy. I thought the trainers did a horrible job on that one. <laughs> Not only that, it's like the one guy, you know, I don't want any college athlete to be hurt, but, he, you know, I was kind of hoping he would come transfer to us next year because of how good he is. I mean, and, that's a possibility uh, with how A&M's going. Well, yeah, that's another – I mean, it's uh, definitely not out of the picture, um, especially with the way Rodney Gardner is making this defense look right now. Yeah, so. I mean, the, from what I understand, the only reason that Walter Nolan came and played his last year of high school in Knoxville at Powell was because of Rodney Gardner. I mean – he obviously has a lot of respect for Rodney, so I, I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. So, uh, you guys have anything you want to talk about? I got. I mean, I got multiple things like we could bring up, but I think you know, you have anything you want to talk, say or anything? Um. Uh, the, the just the the master class game plan that Tim Banks came into this game with. I mean. When you can get home with four or five rushers and have six back there to protect, you know, cover the passes, and you can live with that all game and only allow 13 points, I mean, that that just speaks to understanding your team, understanding what they need to do to be successful. And I think Tim Banks is, you know, he, he's been the best coach on staff this season. I mean, he, he is outstanding so far. That's that's really what I like. Tim Banks covered himself in glory yesterday. I agree. I th- like I said, the defense has been playing really well. Rodney Gardner, another one. I mean, he's got them playing at a elite level at right now. And um, uh, I just, it's just crazy to me, man. Like, like I, I can't get over how good our defense is. Like, I, it makes me speechless sometimes. Yeah, I mean, just the improvement from last year to this year. Is outstanding. Bryce, exactly. You, you got anything? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of echo what you were saying. I think it's been talked about a lot by us. Um, hasn't been talked about as much nationally. I think <coughs> we kind of beat Texas A and M at their own game yesterday, which which yep. was the most that was the most impressive thing to me. Oh, and, and by the way, I said I said in our first podcast that Le'Veon Moss sucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he fin- yeah. He, fin- he, fin- <laughs> he finished with sixty-two yards. So bite me. Uh, he also dropped that pass, that screen pass that would have gotten somewhere on, on their. I think it was their second to last possession on the first interception we had. Like yeah. that, that play would have got fifteen, twenty yards if he got that, and he just dropped it. I just think uh, my number one takeaway is going to be that no matter what, how however we have to change our style, like our team is capable of doing it. 
I mean, coming into the game, you would have thought there's no way. I mean, we, you guys didn't. You guys thought we could do it. But most people would think, oh, there's no way Tennessee's going to run the ball in Texas A&M. Like, Texas A&M is awesome. Um, and then, you know, something that also I think is impressive is our offensive line only gave up three sacks. I mean. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one of those was because Joe held it for too long. Exactly what I was going to say. And they – the thing about that, though, is like, Texas A&M is one of the most pr- prolific pass rushing teams in the league. Yeah. And, you know, I know Mincy didn't play great even when he was in, but being short a starter and still only allowing three sacks over the entire game, I just think it just go- kind of goes to show you uh, how much Mays means to the team. I mean, I think it's easy to do revisionist history and be like, oh, well, you know, if he was playing against Florida. No, I really do think if he was playing against Florida, it's an entirely different game. I agree. I mean, like, that that's probably the most talented front Tennessee's going to see this year. You can say whatever you want about Alabama or Georgia, but, like, based on what we've seen so far from those teams in this season, A&M definitely has the best front. Oh, I mean, I don't think it's even close. I mean, I think um, Georgia's front is definitely not at Georgia's standard. I mean, all their impressive front seven guys are in the NFL now. I don't think – I mean, does Georgia have a Nolan Smith or a Jordan Davis right now? I don't think they do. No. I mean, like like I just – it's the best front the Tennessee might see this whole year. And and to me, it just proved that the offensive line can do their job against – anyone in the country. So uh, it's guaranteed. And I think, I think everything changed with Cooper Mays. He, he's, he's, he's played good and having him is a big difference. Mm-hmm. So, but my most excited point of the game I want to talk about is the officiating. Okay. <laughs> um, Boy, was there some controversial calls, and I'm not just for us. You know, they did miss a face mask at the end of the game. That yeah, I, I thought Gary Danielson was going to have to have his diaper changed. Oh yeah, you know he was. He wanted to scream. Going, he, he was on the phone trying to get that. Uh, yeah, he, he was calling know, the Bermuda. Yeah, but go ahead. I was say I'm just asking you guys what what you know. Don't get me wrong. I mean, some of them were on us, you know, but I think there was like a lot of – there was at least three pass interference calls that were not pass interference. And even all that, there like the couple of Aggie fans that were around were saying the same thing. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't they, know. They, they held down Keaton's arm on the first one they missed. They held down Nimrod's arm in the second half. Like, they were tugging and grabbing, and they, they definitely missed a few. And, I like – to, like it, this has been a talking point for years now in the SEC. Like, there's no accountability, and there's been horrific calls in huge games. Mm-hmm. Like, like the referee should have to have a press conference after the game, but it's all, you know, closed into their little circle, and they get a game grade. But we never could see that. We don't get to fully understand how terrible they were. Just all we get to see is what happened in the game. But well, it's because at the end of the day, I mean, they don't really care all that much because they go back to, you know, their insurance jobs. Yeah. And yeah. it's not, not that big of a deal. I mean, the I, I think, you guys, we're not trying to complain. I mean, 
we only had one more penalty than A&M did. I think, if I'm being honest, I think A&M had a couple of bullshit calls against them as well. I, I just thought, in general, I thought it was a very poorly officiated game. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, both teams are pretty sloppy. Yeah, and um, neither team is known for their discipline, so. No, but the referees certainly. It, it, you always hate to talk about the referees. I mean, and blame, especially if we had lost the game. I, I wouldn't be sitting here blaming the referees. Uh, that's just not my style, but. Like, I mean, it, it's, it. <sighs> It just has to be better, especially going down the stretch in these important games. Like next week, it would not surprise me for Alabama to get every single call. Oh, we'll so. get Dick next week for sure. The Let's th- hope not. The Let's thing is, though, so uh, if if uh, y'all are okay with it, I just was going through Twitter and I just saw a stat. So Texas A&M beat writer Carter Carroll's uh, tweeted this out. So this is insane to me. And this kind of highlights what we were talking about earlier. Max Johnson was pressured on 25 of 39 dropbacks. That's I mean, he was pressured on 64.1% of his dropbacks. And the crazy thing about that PFF has been tracking that stat since 2014. And they have never had a pressure rate that high since PFF started tracking. In any um, game or just in, a, in, a, in a A&M game. Okay. A&M, A&M has never allowed such a high pressure rate on dropbacks. Um, and overall, Max Johnson was hit 11 times. Yeah. I mean, we I think we only ended up with two sacks, but just the havoc we wreaked on him. He, he was – I mean, early in the game, we knocked him flat on his back, and he was, you know, clutching his wrist. Like, that might have had an effect on the game too. I mean, he it wasn't kinda, anything, but – Max Johnson, like, the way – like, if he was a Tennessee's quarterback, he would be so annoying to me. Like, half of the time he, he plays like he has severe brain damage. Like, I've never, I've never seen a quarterback throw it as he's falling to the ground more than Johnson does. Yeah. The, the, there were several times that, like, he just threw it up for grabs. And he, he, he got lucky on a lot of them. Like, we, we, we could have had – Three or four picks yesterday. He hit a nice pass on a third and long with with him falling down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It works occasionally. It's just funny. And th- there was one play where he was like damn near vertical to the ground, like horizontal. I'm, horizontal, horizontal. I mean, he was horizontal to the ground and threw it, and ended up being intentional grounding. Like <laughs> he he's a uh, he's loose with the ball. You know what it reminds me of is like back when you're in you know middle school recess. And you're playing like tackle football, no pads, and the quarterback does that when he's about to get, you know, sacked, just throws it backwards and shit. <laughs> so it's like that, that. It's just it doesn't look like a SEC quarterback, in yeah, my opinion. It, yeah, it, it, even with I mean, Mac Johnson's he's by no means like inexperienced. I mean, he started a bunch of games for LSU two years ago. Like it's just something. He's just loose with the ball at this point. Like he, he it's not, he's not a freshman anymore. He's a veteran, and he's just—he's very careless. Well, it's like we said before the game too. Like he doesn't take care of his body either. Like he—he he lets himself get hit quite a bit, and it looks pretty painful. Like I'm—I'm I'm assuming he's probably not feeling too good this morning. Yeah. Oh I mean, no, no shot. I we, wanted to go ahead, bro. 
I'm sorry. I, I, I wanted to point out another thing that I think is just super impressive. I, I have to do this every week. I have to uh, point out, I got to, I got to give shout out, a shout out to Kamal Haddon every single week now because he catches more shit than Pampers and he, he, he doesn't deserve it. Um, I think I, I called before the game, I called A&M's receiver group, probably the best in the SEC as far as talent goes. I mean, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's a stretch. I mean, Moose Muhammad, Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, Noah Thomas. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. Um, and we held Moose Muhammad to two catches for 11 yards. Anaya Smith had one catch for 20 yards. Um, Noah Thomas, you know, he had a couple of big catches, but three catches. Evan Stewart, four for 48. I mean, that is incredible to me that – it's not just Haddon. I mean, Haddon can't cover four people, but whoever Haddon's on is basically a non-factor all season. Yeah, I mean, every time the ball was thrown towards Haddon, he knocked it down. Like, and and, and it speaks like you, you you just went over it, Bryce. Like, the pressure we got certainly helped the secondary. I mean, you 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 can't throw the ball accurately no matter how good the receiver is if you're you know getting knocked to the ground. I mean, it, it was a complete team effort on defense. Yeah, I mean, no wonder, you know, Haddon didn't didn't have the best season last year. Um, and it's like, well, of course, when the quarterback has eight seconds to throw the ball, I mean, eventually you're going to get open. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, I'm not oblivious. I know that Haddon's improved performance obviously has a lot to do with the improved pass rush. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, you know, let's uh, talk about uh, the conference standings. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the AP poll that came out, but uh, Tennessee's at number 17, and um, I'm kind of – I wouldn't – I don't know if the right word's shocked, but, again, like, I don't know what to think with the AP. I I don't really care about it, but – it's kind of funny to me. I don't know about you guys, but um, they got Mizzou at 20. Um, Ole Miss is at 13. Alabama is at 11. So Notre Dame is at 15 now after beating USC. USC is at 18. So we're actually in front of them now, which is kind of funny. Um, but what do you guys think about that? You do, or you take it with a grain of salt or you – are you shocked like I am or what? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, I I really never worry too much about AP rankings because it really – I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. The college football play, the college football playoff rankings are, are what matters now. I right. mean, at, the, at this point, the AP poll is just a marketing tool to promote matchups. That's all it is to me at, at this point. And AP voters have proven their – you know, ineptitude over the years. So it, it I, I'm not surprised at all with how, how things rank. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, you move up two spots for beating a team that's not that great. A and M is not going to be ranked anymore this season, so it, it's not really that hard for me to to understand. I do think it's funny that uh, USC went from being a playoff contender supposedly, even though they played Eastern Utah school for the deaf, but 
you know, now that they played a real team, they're below us. So I think that's kind of funny. Uh, but no, overall, I, I don't put too much stock into the AP poll. Um, I, I don't think you can be too mad about where we're at. I think, you know, we got to earn it. We got to beat. We got to beat Bama. Got to you. Got to win one of these big games against an impressive team for people to start noticing. Yeah, I mean, and and we we would probably be top ten if we didn't stumble at Florida. So I mean that that's our, that's our fault at the end of the day as far as where we're ranked. So. Oh, and I agree. I think we should be six and zero. But um, the way I look at the AP poll, though, and I, I get what you're saying, I agree. I think it is a marketing tool. But um, I think Tennessee's better than Duke. I think Tennessee's better than Notre Dame, Utah. I think we could beat Ole Miss, Oregon State. We could – I mean, like, there's a lot of teams up there that Tennessee could either definitely beat or compete with. So it's that that's why it's kind of upsetting that the eight, like the top 25 is not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's, it's more about – exactly. It's not a power rating. It's not about, you know – I think even most AP voters would agree that if Tennessee and Duke played on a neutral field, Tennessee would be a big favorite, um, which is kind of why I don't put stock in it really is because it, it, they're not even pretending to tell you who the best teams are in one order. What they're doing is they're going off of resume. Yeah. It's like 90% resume. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, irrelevant to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the first AAP poll should come out until like week four. Like, 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 if like you, you're just betting on teams. That's why so often there's top 10 teams in the preseason every year that end up winning like seven or eight games. Like they're going off reputation. Just like Bryce said, they're going off recruiting classes, which don't always work out. See Jimbo Fisher. Like it's just a, a crapshoot. So I, I don't think there should even be preseason rankings. Like just just give it a couple weeks, and you get a better reading. A couple years ago, it was funny because in the first pre, I think it was twenty twenty one, in the first preseason poll, Tulane was ranked number like twenty three, and they ended up winning two games. <laughs> yeah, just, just stuff like that every year because they're just guessing. So now going into the conference, we'll talk. We'll talk about the East. I mean. The, the East is up for grabs. I mean, you got – I mean, it's not really up for grabs because I don't see – I see Florida losing a couple games here at, you know, the end of their schedule. Yeah. But, I mean, do you guys believe that ne- next week's a must win or do you think, you know, for the East – like, talking about the East, we'll, it, like, we could lose this game? Um. So – the thing is, I, I if you lose this game, you have to win Georgia. I mean, you have to win Kentucky. I think <clears throat> if you um, the thing that the thing that worries me is that Georgia. Who do you see Georgia losing to if we don't beat them? I mean, because here's the thing: Georgia plays Missouri in a couple weeks, um, but we're going to need Missouri to lose that most likely. So, yeah, I mean, for the East, it, it's a three-team race at this point. It's Georgia, Missouri, and the Vols. Like, Florida's – it's just like you said, 
Florida's going to lose it. They're, they're going to lose to Georgia. They'll probably lose to Missouri. Like, <clears throat> it's a three-team race. I mean, I mean, and this is why that yesterday's win was so important. If you lost yesterday, you're looking at four and two going into Alabama. And unless we, you know, play the best game we've played all year, you're looking at four and three going into, into Kentucky. So that's why yesterday was so important for the standings. Like, you would have been buried, dead and buried, if you didn't end up winning the game yesterday. But, you know, Georgia's schedule is a joke. It's been a joke for two, two or three years because they have Georgia Tech as a permanent rival and they're mired in, you know, the depths of college football purgatory. Like, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So Georgia is not going to lose the game unless it's to us. So if we want to stay alive in the East race, we're going to have to win next weekend. Now, do they do uh, they probably play Missouri and Athens, don't they? They do. Yep. Yeah. So okay, I I don't see them losing that game. Um, they they do have Ole Miss on the schedule, which could be interesting. Do they? I think they do. I'll I'll I'll, I'll look it up real quick. But you know, I agree. I think. They do have Ole Miss, but it's it's in Athens, though. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's a that's a game that could surprise a lot of people. It's also you know fortuitous for Tennessee. It's the week before the matchup in Knoxville, so. We'll I mean, see. so I mean, let's. I mean, we're gonna. You know, we talked about the game yesterday. Let's talk about Tennessee's, you know, remaining schedule. I mean, by far not. I wouldn't say, it's a. I wouldn't say super difficult, but it's not easy. Nope. And it starts with this week, obviously. You're on uh it's gonna be on CBS again. Um in Tuscaloosa. Definitely I am not I mean the fact that Arkansas almost comes back and wins that game. Uh I'm not Alabama is not Alabama <laughs> this year. No. And and I'm not saying they're not good. But they're not the typical Alabama that we're used to seeing, and I it's a definitely it's a win a winnable game, and we'll have a podcast all about this game in the next couple of days. But then you go to Kentucky, Kroger Field. I'm after their performance last night. I'm not worried about them at all. Nope. I don't. I don't think they could stop our run game, and. Our defense, I think, I won't say it will shut down Ray Davis, but Ray Davis ain't having 300 yards. I'll say we'll shut down Ray Davis. That's fine. I will, too. I mean, you, I, I'll do it. I mean, Ray, Ray Davis was on Vanderbilt for the past two years. Like, what what did Vanderbilt do to us? Like, I mean, that, he's a, obviously going to be running behind zero points. A, a better line. But – our run defense is almost as good as our our running offense. Like, I'm not worried about Ray Davis or Kentucky or Devin Leary or Mark Stoops or anything to do with that, you know. Or Barry horse, Brown. Horse-obsessed state. I, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay, and then and then we got UConn at home. Not, I'm not worried. No. Now, we can't sleep on it, but you, you just go take care of that game. It's at home. No, but, I mean, yeah, I – you can sleep on that game. I, I think you, I, I think UConn would have a hard time with the Knoxville School for the Blind. <laughs> I, I think the, the most likely loss, besides obviously Alabama and Georgia, is Missouri. Uh, 
you know, Missouri has the offense to to score on Tennessee. I mean, they, I just don't think they have the defense to yeah, yeah, to stop that, Tennessee's offense. That that that's where I was about to go. I mean, I, I think if Missouri wins that game, it's going to have to be a shootout. So, which yeah. Missouri's receivers do scare me a little bit. Uh, Luther Burden is awesome. Theo Weiss. Brady Cook's been playing out of his mind. Yeah, definitely. That's not a. I mean. Plus, it's on the road. Yeah, like typically we would look at Missouri and and you know say that's that should you know pencil that in as a W, but I don't I don't think you can do that this year. I think that's going to be a tough game. Uh, Hypo does seem to not care for Eli Drinkwitz though, considering he's put a sixty-three uh, two years in a row. Yeah, but you know they 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 certainly have the best team they've had since they won the East eight eight years ago, so nine years ago, so. I think it'll be a tough game up there. But, yeah, then we go into Georgia. Georgia comes to town. I mean, in a perfect world, here's my thing. I think my my outlook is is we'll end up going 3-1 and one in the stretch, and this is just me being optimistic. Um, you know, of course, in my head I'm saying we're going to win all these games. It's very possible, very possible to get the Georgia, you know, uh, nine and one, and we'll see. I mean, if if that happens, that might be the most hostile environment in college football history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think that's hyperbole at all. I mean, that that that's been the game. Like last year, they you know dominated us in Athens. I mean, absolutely. Like, did did like Tennessee w- would be ready for that game and. Tennessee also has to make it mean something when, when that game rolls around. I mean, you got to take care of business before that. But yeah, if, if we get to that game 9-1, you can bet the house that people are going to be out for blood. Oh, yeah. And, and I will be one of the Twitter advocates. I will. It don't matter. It's going to be the Sunday after the Missouri game. I will be talking about Neyland Loud from Sunday to Saturday morning. As you should. And it's got you got to be, but let's get there first. We got a big game this week. Um, I don't know about you guys. If you have anything else you want to talk about, we could definitely talk about. But um, it's really all the topics I had. Uh, but next, this we're going to be talking about Alabama here in a day or two. But we need to um, focus up, uh, get some rest in, and head to Tuscaloosa. Hopefully, bring home a W. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, everybody's going to everybody's gonna get up for that game. You know, you can't – you just can't shoot yourself in the foot. If if they outplay us, you know, that's one thing. But uh, I would really, really be discouraged if we go up there and commit a copious amount of penalties and turn the ball over. You know, just, just don't shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean – Tennessee's not as good as they were last year, but neither is Alabama. Like it is a definitely game, not. It is a game that that you can win. There, there's no reason that we shouldn't be in that game in the fourth quarter with a chance to win it. So I, there, there's anything could happen. Absolutely. Um, they don't. You know, they don't have Bryce Young. <laughs> I mean, no. Bryce. If they didn't have Bryce Young last year, the game would have been a three touchdown game. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see, man. I'm really excited. Um, 
we'll uh you know chat more offline once we stop the recording but uh i do want to be i want to say anyone taking the time to listen to this we appreciate you um we love talking vol sports and uh i think we're going to start doing you know listener questions here uh for the next one so absolutely we'd love to get the community involved so We'll uh, be checking out updates, and I know we're going to talk about this. Uh, we're going to try to make the podcast. Obviously, it'll be available on the website, the 1796sports.com, uh, but we're going to make it available anywhere you can get your podcasts. So stay tuned for that. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, again, appreciate you guys. Li- blah, blah. Appreciate you guys listening. Sorry again. Uh, when my voice, my voice is in Newland, and it's gonna stay in Newland till next time I get there. So, um, yeah, we appreciate you listening, and uh, go Vols, baby! Go Vols! Go Vols!